This is CJ Nikowski, color analyst for the Texas Rangers, and you're listening to Rangers Nation Podcast. Welcome to Rangers Nation Podcast, talking all things Texas Rangers. Rangers Nation Podcast is a part of Dallas Sports Nation, providing coverage of all your DFW sports teams. Now, here's your host, Texas Rangers blogger, the Recliner Nerd. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Rangers Nation's podcast. I am your host, the Recliner Nerd, John Moore. Hey, today's a special one. Today we've got from, from Chris Wells' Clubhouse Chatter, we got Jeff Hawkins, and we also have the one, the only, C.J. Nikowski from Fox Sports Southwest, color analyst for the Texas Rangers and play-by-play. This is going to be a good one. We'll be, one, we'll be right back after this. Welcome, Rangers Nations, to a special edition of Rangers Nations podcast today. It's best because we have a couple of very special guests with us for uh, spring training take three. This one's a little special. First off, from Chris Wells' Clubhouse Chatter, we have Texas Ranger blogger and my friend Jeff Hopkins, who, uh, who coincidentally did win the Dallas Sports Nation Top 20 Prospect Countdown by naming the five top prospects before being published. Jeff, how you doing, bud? Hey, John. I'm doing great, man. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for coming, bud. Hey, and, and Jeff has managed a major coup for the Rangers Nation podcast by setting up our second guest. All Ranger fans know him as TV color analyst and play-by-play announcer alongside Dave Raymond. He also works for the national team for Fox for MLB, helps out on MLB Whip Around, and also co-host on the MLB Radio Series, former Texas Ranger great C.J. Nikowski. C.J., we can't thank you enough for joining us on Ranger Nation podcast. It's my pleasure, John. Good to be with both you and Jeff. Thanks, sir. Well, let's get to it because we know you got a busy schedule. I don't want to waste your time any longer than than you allow us to. <laughs> so, <laughs> so first off, there was one big breaking story today, and I looked in your bio, CJ, and uh, I think you can confirm this for me. But in all your years of playing professional baseball, you have never signed a twelve-year, four hundred thirty million dollar <laughs> contract, right? I don't take this the wrong way, but had I done that, we probably wouldn't be talking right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was some big news and a little surprising. I think a lot of people thought he was going to go go to spring, uh, go to uh, free agency. But I guess with uh, Harper and Machado taking so long, I don't know. Maybe their guys are listening to the first offer from teams right now. Well, I'll tell you this. So Mike Trout had said uh, not too long ago that he didn't want to talk about any contract extension during the season, he said that there'd be a window in the off season. So that's kind of how we approached it and looked at it and said, well, there won't be much uh, going on. But once the Machado and Harper deals got done, uh, the Angels saw an opportunity. Mike Trout was still two years away from free agency. I believe he had about $34 million in each of the last two years uh, before he was going to hit free agency after the uh, 2020 season. Uh, but they came strong uh, and they got it done. And that's what it was going to take. I mean, they couldn't try to get something at Harper below Harper. It uh, had to be better than Harper, had to be better than Machado. Sure. And as far as what they've added on to what they already had with him, it sounds like it's, you know, altogether it ends up being over 430, but basically adding another 10 and 360 million, uh, which was right in the pocket. As much as we're all kind of blown away by that number, that's what it was going to take if you didn't want to compete with the other 29 teams. And Artie Moreno found a way to get it done. Yeah, I tell you, and as for Ranger fans, it's uh, it's not not great because that guy kills the Rangers, and he'll be here for the next twelve years, so he's not going anywhere for sure. He's not, and he kills everybody. So it's not just <laughs> us with the Rangers that have to deal with him, but so does everybody else. Now, of course, we have him in the division. Yeah, that's um, what I mean. That is a problem, right? And so we're going to see him pretty regularly now for the next decade plus. There was always, I guess, that hope that maybe he would end up in Philadelphia. There was all that talk about him maybe wanting to go home to that area. He's from South Jersey, a huge Eagles fan. 
uh, with the Yankees get involved in a couple of years. But all that goes away. And there's been a couple of guys that have done that uh, recently here, not just the free agents with Harper and Machado, but uh, some extensions that have gotten down with guys like Nolan Arenado and now yep. Mike Trout. It uh, makes free agency, I don't know, maybe a little bit more boring, but maybe it'll also work out better for those secondary free agents who have had such a hard time the last two years. I, I, I agree. I think if you find somebody and he's somebody you want for your future, why not get out there and get after it immediately? See if you can lock him down um, and, and do it. So, Jeff, you want to get going here? Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I, I mean, I was I was floored. I was pretty much stunned that it happened. I, I, I would have pretty much bet the farm that, he was out of there after 2020 and going to go to Philly or New York or somewhere. I just, I just really couldn't believe it. I'm still kind of in shock over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I wanted to ask CJ about, you know, you played in the big leagues for about 12 years, but you also played over in Japan and South Korea. And over here, you know, we usually just get to see videos and stuff of baseball in Asia and just wanted to know, about the dif- difference between Japan and Korea as far as the excitement of the fans and how it differs there. And also uh, what tell us uh, something like one of the weirdest things you ever ate while you was over there. So I will tell you that, you know, the, the atmosphere there is probably what caught me by the most surprised. Uh, it's, it has an international soccer feel to it. It's loud all the time, right? The Mariners are over there right now playing the A's and, starting on the 20th, right, for that two-game series. That's kind of, you know, it's opening day. Those games actually count. And for people that watch those games, they'll, they'll get a little bit of a feel for it. But it's loud all the time. Japan a little bit more so than Korea. But but pretty much um, the same approach where fans are cheering, they're organized, there's songs for every player. And it's kind of nonstop. A little bit of a different brand of baseball, a lot more contact, a lot more balls hit on the ground, a lot of turf fields over there, especially in Japan. And so – a lot of guys are beating the ball on the ground and, and, and beating out uh, infield hits. It's a lot harder. At least I had a harder time striking guys out uh, over there. Not a ton of power, uh, but it is kind of hard to get some swings and misses because there's a lot of short swings. Everything opposite of what we're seeing here in the States was what my experiences were, were in both Japan um, and in Korea. Culturally, it was an absolute blast. I had so much fun over there. Uh, the people treated you really well. Fans treated you really well. I mean, as long as you went over there, and I was really internationally ignorant until I had gotten – uh, to play in Asia for those four years. I didn't know much about anything. I mean, even when my agent asked me if I wanted to go to Korea, I was like, what? No, I don't want, you know, but it ended up being my only option and I ended up loving it um, over there when I was there. But, you know, I think the big thing for American players and really for all, all foreign players when they go over there, um, you know, is to be open to the idea that it's going to be different. It's not going to be the big leagues, uh, but there's great opportunity there. Sometimes you got to put your tail between your legs and just, you know, some of the stuff that happens, you know, you might get a little ticked off by the way a coach treats you or talks to you with the culture. There's a little bit different than it is here uh, in the States. And if you can tolerate some of those things, you can spend a lot of time over there and, and do uh, pretty well for yourself. As far as eating, it was always an adventure. Um, and it was fun. The first, the first city that I played in, in Japan, uh, it was a city called Fukuoka of about uh, maybe about two and a half million people. So there was a lot of Western options, um, a lot of restaurants, um, you know, so it, it wasn't too bad. There's a hard rock cafe right next to our uh, dome that we played. in. so you can always find some American food and there's McDonald's. And things are a little bit different. But if you really want to venture out and start eating um, kind of some of the native food, local favorites, um, that's where it can get a little sideways on you once in a while. And you're looking at some things that you've never seen before. <laughs> and the one that probably the biggest one for me, um, and I said, I'll try pretty much anything once. I was, I was just completely open to the whole experience, but uh, oh, yeah. Natto beans, um, it was a one and done for me. I mean, it was, it was just, there was, and they were a pretty steady delicacy. 
um, with folks in Japan. It didn't smell good, didn't look good, um, and it all it took was one bite to say, yep, that'll, that'll be the last time um, that I do that. You know, eating, there was another thing we did that there was, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but basically it was kind of like a live, uh, live fish, almost like a tadpole, like real small uh, in a bowl. They're only available for a couple of months out of the year. Um, and you know, a lot of times with the food over there, everyone always talks about how it's going to give you great energy and give you great stamina. So I, I feel like I constantly heard that from my translators. Um, <laughs> and so you just drank the whole bowl with those live tadpoles in there, um, oh which I tried gosh. and you didn't really taste much of anything, but you know, there's something weird about knowing that there was tadpoles, um, or whatever they were, you know, swimming around your stomach with that liquid, but it was cool, man. It was a lot of fun. And uh, some things I'd eat again and some things, uh, like I mentioned, only once. <laughs> and there's hey, hey, there's good talent in Japan, too. We're seeing every free agent that comes over from Japan. They're going directly to the big leagues. They're not going into the minor leagues. So it's not like you're going over there and playing double-A players. That's some, that's some actual talent coming over here. There is. And people ask me that all the time. You know, Darvish was over there when I was there. Uh, he stuck out like a sore thumb, though. I mean, he, there was nobody close to what he was doing. And, listen, he's healthy. He's been one of the best over here as well. Right. It's kind of a mixed bag. You know, people always ask me, I said, when I was there, there's probably a handful of difference makers, guys that could come over and actually make a, a big difference and make an impact in the big leagues. There's another five to 10, maybe another five per team that could hold down a job. Yep. Uh, but then you're also going to have some guys that would have a hard time getting out of double A sure. um, that are playing in the big leagues there. So it really is kind of all over the place. But yeah, there's been impact players. There have been some guys that have done really well with the adjustment. There's been some guys that have really struggled uh, with the adjustment. You know, one of the biggest things, um, you know, first of all, in Japan, we really didn't see until Tozawa signed with the Red Sox. We never really saw amateur sign from Japan to the States. It was usually guys that already played in their version of the major leagues. And right. when Chinuchi Tozawa signed with the Red Sox, there was, it was a big uproar. And they had passed a new rule that if any amateur had signed uh, with an American team, then he would basically have to serve. I can't remember the exact number. There's a long period of time in which he could not come back uh, and play in Japan. They were really upset about that. It was the opposite in Korea. In Korea, for the longest time, everybody that came over from Korea were only yeah. amateurs, guys that came out of high school and college. Right. Chu, of course, was one of those guys. Yeah. It wasn't until Ryu, until Ryu came over. Ryu was the first, basically, player to come over from the KBO in Korea that was playing in their version of the big leagues. Oh, and wow. So it was, it was kind of, it's kind of opposite. So you don't see a lot of amateurs coming over from Japan, and you didn't see a lot of professionals coming over from Korea. Now, we've seen Jung Ho Gang. We've seen uh, Young Ho Park, uh, guys that have come over from Korea in their big league since. Um, right. But for the most part, it's always been amateurs. But, yeah, there's some good players. So the scouting was really heavy in Korea, not of their professional league, but of their amateur leagues. They're starting to scout their professional leagues a little bit more because of the success of guys like Ryu. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, 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 it's it's fascinating. I would love to go over sometime. It's like a bucket list to see that stuff. So, anyway, back to you. Obviously, uh, there's a little fun fact um, that I wanted to come up on. Now, I remember, I remember when you played for the Rangers, and obviously, I know you more for your TV work. But so when I heard you were going to come on, I had to go back and check some CJ stuff just to look it up. But <laughs> one of the things that fascinates me, being from Texas, you went to Don Bosco Preparatory High School. That's a national football powerhouse, right? Yeah, they weren't when I was there, but you're right. That or that uh, school has really taken off. You know, I, I graduated in 91. Uh, they did win a state championship our senior year, but it was kind of one of those things that came out of nowhere. Uh, that program, uh, a few years after I had left, I, I didn't play football, but a few years after I left, um, really kind of went on all cylinders. They started getting some big names, and there's some big coaches. And when you have a private regional high school, you can draw uh, from a much bigger pool than your public high schools can generally just because – um, you, know, you can pull kids that are that are willing to make the drive if they're out of the busing area 
you know, sure. an hour plus. And once you start to build that good program, have a couple of good players, get them into good colleges, you know, it's just one after another, after another, they just had a big coaching change uh, this past year, but yeah, that program, um, they've done some really great things on the baseball side as well. They've done a really nice job, um, but they have, uh, yeah, it was amazing to see all of a sudden, uh, you know, a high school Catholic high school from New Jersey was flying to California to play football games and realizing that uh, they were the real deal and ran quite a few players through there that have had some really nice college careers, which, you know, listen, it happens all day long in right. Texas. I live in Georgia now and right. um, they do pretty well. The baseball side, they're probably a little bit stronger than football, but you know, you guys know how it goes. I mean, as far as, um, filling up the big time college football programs. Most of those guys are coming from the South. So yeah. Yeah. anytime the guys from the Northeast can make an impact nationally, it's always a big deal. Yeah. So when you mm-hmm. answer my question, so you didn't play football, you stuck with baseball. Yeah. I played basketball a couple of years, realized I wasn't very good. And then by the time my junior year came around, I was only playing baseball. When I, you also, I know that you went to Florida Atlantic university first before going to St. John's Were you recruited heavily. None of the other Florida schools came after you. I was not. So I always like telling my story just to kind of give folks and some young kids hope as far as what could be. Um, You know, now things have changed dramatically as far as the amateur baseball scene. But, you know, pitching basically in high school through the late 80s, I was never a hard thrower, um, never touched 80 miles an hour as a high school pitcher. So I had some real, real limited opportunities. I had some good years in there, but never was throwing hard. And so I had basically two college opportunities, uh, two schools that offered me some money. One was Florida Atlantic, which was at the time a Division II school. Right. Uh, and then the other one was George Mason, which was a D1 school. This is still a D1 school um, in Virginia. Went down to visit in Florida, and I was blown away for a kid growing up in New York. Um, <laughs> just getting down in that weather, really cool ballpark. I mean, it all looked like a huge deal to me. It makes me laugh now if I go back there, but it seemed like a huge deal to me sure. um, mm-hmm. at the time. And so I, I took that offer and went down to Florida Atlantic for a year. I had a pretty horrible um, freshman year, had more more walks than strikeouts. Uh, my velocity started to pick up a little bit, but I still was probably low 80s um, at, at best. Um, but it just wasn't going. I was 1-8 and eight with an area over four my freshman year in college. I got a little homesick and uh, actually was looking to transfer and had a few more opportunities that popped up, ultimately settled on St. John's. Um, and then that spring, we went out to California to play in a tournament. So as a sophomore, all of a sudden I was touching 90 miles an hour. Um, you know, I was doing a lot of long toss and a lot of working out with my with my teammates and, and guys pushing right. each other really hard. Um, but I started to see an increase. And then by the time the draft came around my next year, it was, you know, touching 94, which by today's standards doesn't seem like a big deal. That's um, huge. Back then. then, back then yeah. for lefty, it was. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I went from, like I said, not touching 80 as a senior in high school to three years later, touching 94. I mean, I not recruited hardly at all. And then went pretty high in the first round three yeah, years later. Not nine overall. That that was that's yeah. a, that is an impressive story. Very much so. Okay, Jeff, I think you were. Yeah, uh, CJ. I know if you remember this. I can't remember if it was six months ago. I was look, looking at your Twitter page and you posted a video. You and your son playing uh, house hoops. You had the goal <laughs> on the staircase. Yeah. And uh, keeping score and everything. And if, if my memory, if my memory serves me correctly, your son beat you on a last second shot. Uh, he did every once in a while. You know, I come from the school of like, don't lay down and let your kids win. Like, they absolutely gotta not. You got to learn how to lose. You know, you might let them have a little fun here and there, but for the most part, I, I'll go back to what John Smoltz said year, years ago, which was my dad never, never let me beat him in anything. And, Absolutely, uh, John Smoltz, who, who I know well, is probably one of the most competitive people I've ever been around, regardless <laughs> of what your 
whether it's ping pong darts or, or golf or baseball. Uh, it worked out well for him. So. That. Yeah. I mean, especially this day and age, right? I mean, um, you know, that uh, the idea of making everything easy for your kids um, has become, I think, a little bit of a problem. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll get after a little bit um, indoors. And then we actually just built a little mini hoop to put outside. Um, it's kind of in between. It's probably about, uh, it's not quite the, the small mini hoop and it's not a full size hoop. It's probably about a 12 inch uh, rim. And so we can use those mini basketballs uh, and that's been a blast, man. So we, it was fun, man. My wife played softball in college. And so we love sports. We love goofing around. I'm fortunate to have a wife that's, yeah, go ahead. You can put that hoop right in the middle of our living room. That's how I wondered. What, the, what did the yeah. wife think about that? <laughs> she loved it, man. She loved it. We actually cleared that out. And then act, this past winter, um, that room got cleared out again and, and, you know, it's basically like a formal living room, which we don't need a formal living room in our life. That's not how we roll. And sure. so, uh, we put, there's now a ping pong table in that room, which is sitting right in the middle of our house. And, uh, <laughs> and she's pretty good with it. Yeah. She gets a little mad here and there and a little feisty. Um, you know, but it's, uh, it's fun. We love, we love it. Well, that's cool. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about the Rangers. Um, John Daniels, you know, he's, he's planning on going with three starters all coming back from Tommy John surgery. And that, I have a feeling that that could potentially be a huge strain on the bullpen, especially earlier in the season. Uh, but if those guys really come out and pitch up to their capabilities, I mean, this that could end up being three of the best acquisitions he's ever made in the offseason. Uh, yeah, they did a really nice job of kind of flying under the radar a little bit as far as the moves that they made. They didn't, you know, jump in the deep end as far as any of the free agents. But uh, they did do a really nice job. Uh, bringing in pieces um, that can help, not just in the rotation, but also guys like Estrubal Cabrera uh, on a one-year deal to try to hold down third base certainly would be a challenge. Jeff, Mass- Jeff Mathis, who will split catching du- duties with Isaiah kind of for left. Yeah. When you start getting into that rotation, I mean, Lance Lynn on a three-year deal, but then Drew Smiley. And it's in Volquez who we already had, right? He was already in the organization. This was kind of the plan. And mm-hmm. then Shelby Miller. So there's some basically, um, you know, low-risk, high-reward because these guys do have track records. They've done some pretty good things. Um, in the past and so because the rangers are a little thin on the on the you know double a triple a end of, of pitching prospects a lot of their pitching prospects are kind of double a and below um, guys aren't quite ready yet they don't have those guys even though harada harado at times did some pretty good things we just saw mendez get hurt he's gonna yeah. miss the first half of the year um yeah. they didn't want it to be a total disaster and so they bring in guys that can compete uh hang in there and i think probably what you'll see is and i haven't made any decisions yet but I, i'm guessing they're going to they're going to carry eight relievers so that they can protect those guys a little bit, especially um, early on, which means a, a three-man bench, and they'll figure that whole deal out. But you're right. I mean, there is definitely a concern about the strain on the bullpen. That's something they'll have to keep an eye on, be careful with. But I like the signings. Very under the radar. They put they put the Rangers in that spot that keep their heads above water, maybe even surprise some people a little bit. And you never know. If they find a way to hang in there um, and somehow find a way – uh, to be in that wild card card mix, John Daniels, I I don't doubt for a second would add as opposed to subtracting uh, if there's any chance of making the postseason come deadline time. Yeah, yeah. that's another thing too. What, what do you think about the guys like Hans Kraus and stuff like that? Do you see those guys as potentially one day being frontline number one guys? Number one's always tough. I think one of the things that happens sometimes with fans is we hear prospect, we get excited, right? And prospects are covered now. Uh, more than ever. There's more pressure on these guys than there are. I admit it. Some I'm are, a nerd. Some, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Some are real comfortable with it. Some are not, you know, projecting is really tough. I mean, you yep. see what happens in the draft, right? I mean, it's just, it's not a it, it, guys at the top sometimes pan out. Sometimes they don't. And yep. part of the reason is, is because it's so difficult 
uh, to project. So you watch guys, and once they start to get to double A and do some things for me, mm-hmm. that's when I'll start. Not that I don't take them seriously, but that's when I really start saying, you know what, get ready. It, it should be soon. Yeah. Um, so you got to pass that double A test for me. I like guys being a triple A as well. Show because then they'll start facing some more veteran hitters and then kind of showing that they're ready. And then they got to get up here, they got to get on the biggest stage they've ever been in, they got to face the best hitters they've ever faced, and they right. got to do it every five days. It's, it's tough, man. It's a tough challenge. So, the idea of you know developing an, an ace, um, is tough to do. Obviously, teams have done it, that's how they get here. But the reality is, when you look at all those arms that they have right now and a couple of years away, you really just for me hope that you can get a couple of good starters in the middle of the rotation. If you're able to develop. Yeah. You know, two starters, maybe three in the high end over a five-year span. You've done a pretty good job. I know it sounds crazy when you think about 150, 175 guys being in the minor leagues, half of them pitchers, and you're going, yeah, I hope we get a couple starters out of that. But yeah. that's the reality. That's the reality of the odds and actually making it happen uh, at the big league level. So I, I would temper expectations in the sense of thinking ace, uh, but guys that can hold down a rotation spot because if you're a championship-caliber team, yep. chances are you might be going out and buying an ace and having some really good pieces to go along with it. I mean, look at the Cubs, right? They have to bring in John Lester. Yep. I mean, all the guys in their rotation right now, none of them, I don't believe, were original uh, draft picks. Just doesn't happen very often. The biggest yeah. impact for um, the yeah. Astros last year with Verlander and, and Cole, they come from the outside. Colin yep. McHugh comes from the outside. So it's you know the idea of developing your own is, is great, uh, but it's a really tough thing to do. Yeah, and as, as Ranger fan, especially, you know, we've only developed one true ace from here, and that was probably Kevin Brown. Uh, other mm. than that, we really haven't had one that we drafted, developed, that became a true ace. But, um, all right, let me talk about Woody, because uh, all we're – now, you've been around Woody now. You've been around Bannister last year. We're hearing all these good vibes coming out of spring training. This is, you know, all teams will say that when they get a new manager out there. But you've been around Bannister. You've been around this. Are you seeing it? Are the players – they seem to be fired up. It sounds great. As a fan, it sounds wonderful. You've seen both. Is it real? I mean, I, Woody just seems so good. He wasn't on my radar when he was hired, but, boy, I'm loving what I'm hearing. You're one that's mm-hmm. been there, and you were there with Bannister last year. Is there a difference? Uh, you know, it's hard to say, and, and players and people that have been around the team are always careful to try to compare the two, and I kind of fall into that categories well because i love banny banny was great to me i like the way that he carries himself the way he led the team i've known him for a really long time i was in the minor leagues with the pirates back in 2005 yeah. he was a roving catching instructor at the time so i've known him for years and i like him a ton and i really respect him um this is a different game now i mean as far as what's happening and the turnover of managers is so ridiculously high and it's just kind of the way it goes you know bruce poach is going to step aside it's going to be kind of an end of the error end of an error at the end of the season so to get a guy to to give you 10 12 15 years i think we're kind of past that um and so it is to me like you get a job like this and you got to be looking at it, it's like you're lucky if you can get four or five years in. And that's just kind of where we are yep. um, these days so as far as you know comparing the two or at least as far as what's woody what we've seen from woody and what he's bringing um to the table um these guys are buying in. He has some ideas, man. It's the guy who played. He had a grind. We were in the same draft. He, I was in the first round. He was in the 54th round. And he battled <laughs> his tail off to have, you know, to have a great career. Hang in there, right? I mean, he, he's, he was a grinder, man. He took everything he had. When you get drafted in the 54th round, a round that doesn't even exist anymore, no, yeah. that organization is not looking at you as a future big leaguer. They're just not. They're like, we'll put him in the organization with, like, some tools that we saw as an amateur. The reality is he'll probably fizzle out in two years and be out, you know, be out of baseball. But, you know, he, he was able to, to fight that fight and win that battle. And that's that this kind of reflective of his personality. Now, what he's also done is adapted to what the modern coach has to do. And that's understand analytics, understand how to use analytics 
um, everything that we have. There's a ton of information available, whether it's certain stats or the ability to measure certain things as hitters are hitting. Uh, we got the fly ball revolution. We got guys pitching up in the zone with high velocity. How do you counteract those things? And so he has a ton of ideas. Yeah. As does his coaching staff. Like he didn't bring in a bunch of buddies to coach the staff. You know, he didn't bring his friends in. He went and got guys that he interviewed, most of whom he's never met before, um, and really liked what they had to say and what they brought to the table and, and made the hires that they felt were going to work. And so far, the buzz has been really, really good. Um, guys are comfortable. Guys are happy. Um, they seem relaxed, and they trust him. The biggest thing these days, especially with a manager, is do you trust him and do you believe that he actually has your best interest? Does he care about you? Um, it's something that matters nowadays. It really does, now more than ever. Now, winning is still number one, and would you sure. put that ahead of winning? Um, but I think so far in spring, he's earned the trust of these young players. Sure. Hey, you guys can hear me, right? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Okay, just making sure. I had a different sound here coming. Okay, go ahead, Jeff. Uh, yeah, me and John have been talking about how the Rangers could really surprise a lot of teams this year. And I mean, everybody knows the Astros are clear front runners to win. Mm-hmm. Um, if things fall into place, if you know, if these pitchers that come in off the Tommy John surgery, if they're pitching well, if our young hitters are producing, I mean, what what do you think the potential is for the Rangers to be maybe playing some meaningful games in September? I definitely think it's possible, right? There, there's certain times, you know, when I do baseball and MLB Network created, we cover the entire league. Sure. And one of the things we talk about a lot when we talk about teams is, like, well, I'll use the Twins as an example. Like, oh, the Twins brought some guys in. Do they have a chance to contend? And you start going down the list of things that happen. Byron Buxton, there needs to happen. Byron Buxton has to have a bounce-back year. Uh, Nelson Cruz needs to be the same guy that he's always been. Miguel Sano needs to have a bounce-back year. And you start going down this list, and there's a lot of ifs in there. Oh, yeah. And when the list starts to get too long, you start to realize this is probably not going to happen. But the Rangers, I don't think the list is really that long of you know concerns. Now, listen, injuries are going to kill anybody. No sure. two ways about it. You can't really sustain them. That would be tough. So as a whole, if that staff stays healthy, um, they should be in pretty good shape. The questions become, and I'm pretty excited about what we've seen so far from Rugnet Odor. What we saw from Rugi over the last four months was really good. What we've seen yeah. for the first couple of weeks here, a few weeks in spring training, has been really good. He had three hits the other night uh, to the opposite field. He didn't crush him, but there were three hits to the opposite field, which just tells you he's keeping the bat in the zone a little bit longer. He's buying into what, um, what Chris Woodward and the coaching staff is trying to do with him. Uh, so there's a good example of something that I think is, you know, he's, he's poised for a pretty big year. Um, based on what happened last year, what happened in spring. He's going to bat second. It sounds like he's going to bat second no matter if it's lefty or righty uh, right now. That's how much Woody believes um, in what he's doing. Nomar's been pretty steady. Joey's been steady. I know people would love to see Joey Gallo hit higher for average, but you almost feel like you can sign him up for 40 home runs, right, because he's done it in back-to-back years. Now you'd love to see at least 250. You'd love to see that on base come up. But listen, even if he only hits – you know, I say only hits 40 as if it's easy. But even if that's like the main thing that he does – um, there's still value there, right? So as much as we want to see him take a step forward, it doesn't have to necessarily be um, a step forward. A full year for Ronald Guzman, there's a little bit of you know room for improvement there. That's that's an if that I put in there that says, could that make a difference? And then getting back to that Delano De Shields that we saw, um, who got on base quite a bit. Yes. Um, those are the things, right? So the list for me of like things that have to happen aren't nearly as long as they are for some other teams. The margin for error, no doubt, is small when you have the Astros in your division. Yes. Um, but, yes, is it possible? Absolutely. I'm not into, like, as much as I try to be as positive as I can about the Rangers, it is kind of part of what I do as a home broadcaster. Right. I'm also not going to – I don't believe in just blowing smoke either. Absolutely. Like it, it, it's in there. It could happen. It, yeah, there's some things, and maybe on paper people aren't thinking it. And, listen, that's a fun place to be sometimes as a player because when you get in that clubhouse and you look around and you see the players that are there and the track records are there, and they are there for quite a few guys, and then you start looking at some of the upside in the lineup – 
there's no reason not to say, why can't it be us? Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Um, okay, so you know what? We're winding down to the end, CJ. One final question. Uh, so my wife and I travel all around, and we go to different ballparks. We've been to San Francisco, Oakland, both the Chicago's, nice. New York, Baltimore, Cincinnati. What's your favorite park to visit, and what's the best unique food that you've had at one of the ballparks? Well, that's a good question. You know, um, they're so great these days. Like, there's no bad ballparks anymore. Like, when I first came up, there were some pretty old ballparks. Uh, Oakland. So many of those. I mean, so many. Yeah, it's a good point. Oakland's <laughs> probably the, the one, right? That's the one that kind of last one standing. I don't even hate Tampa as much as everybody else does. It always looks at me sideways when I say it. But I don't know. It's something about at least for three days that I don't mind being in there. Um, but I like Seattle a lot, you know, and I probably like Seattle the most when it's like 100 in Texas. Like it's like, you know, July and then we go up to Seattle. I'm like, ah, it's like you can kind of breathe a little bit. Get <laughs> some cool air in your face. But I've always liked Seattle as a player. I grew up in the Northeast, so I love going back to New York, um, you know, just to be it's just, you know, good atmosphere. Everything feels a little bit bigger when you're in the those markets. And same with Boston. There's an atmosphere there. Yeah. Um, you know, but as far as, as road ballparks, I'd, I'd probably put Seattle up near as one of my favorites. I mean, all the cities are great to go to um, these days. And then as far as food, you know, we don't really, I don't eat the stadium food as much. Like, you know, we have the press dining, but as far as what they offer in concessions, because we're working, right? By the time the concession stands are open, you know, an hour, an hour and a half before the game, we're grinding, getting our work done, getting ready for. Um, the game, yeah. So I don't get to experience it as much, but at the same ballpark, we did taste the crickets that, um, that Seattle threw out there a couple of years ago. I don't know if you knew that or not. They were they were serving like dead, yeah, like dead crickets, and they had like some kind of ice on them. Yeah, you know, I did it. It's like Japan, right? Just morning, tried it, never do it again. It was fine. I can say I did it, but it was, as far as unique, that's about as unique as it gets. Well, if you're, if you're swallowing tadpoles, I guess you got to eat a cricket. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, CJ, listen, Je- CJ, Jeff, it's been a pleasure having both of you on Rangers Nation's podcast. Jeff, I certainly want to get back with you. We'll do this again for sure, and we'll do some more shows. CJ, I, I appreciate it so much. Thanks for taking your time out of your busy schedule and coming on here to waste energy with us. And I know you get asked to do a lot of this, and it's very nice of you to join us. We really appreciate it. John, Jeff, it was, it was my pleasure, man. really enjoyed you guys. did a good job. Thank, Thank you so much. Once again, a big shout-out, folks, to Jeff Hawkins from Chris Wells Clubhouse Chatter and especially C.J. Nikowski, who took his time out of his day from Fox Sports Southwest and Texas Ranger play-by-play and color analyst for joining us today. For those that have been a part of this one, I can't thank you enough. And like I say at the end of every article and at the end of every one of these episodes, nerd out.